0: We'll take our text again from the book of Matthew. We will read a portion of the scripture text. It's Matthew chapter 5, and we'll look at verses 13 and 14. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men." Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. This portion of Scripture, of course, was taken from Christ's Sermon on the Mount. And the Lord was actually addressing his disciples here in these verses. You might say he was speaking to Christians. And even in the margin of my Bible, it says Christian influence. So the Lord here was using salt and light as an analogy of what Christians should be in this world. So we might say he was uh, speaking to those who were saved. You know, he if you think about salt and light, the Lord here was telling them what they should be, not what they should do. There's plenty of instructions on what we should do as Christians, but he was telling them that we need to be salt and light. We can't do what the Lord wants us to do until we're first, until we first become what he wants us to be. So the Lord wanted them to be salt and light. There were, I'm sure, other reasons why Jesus used these two things as analogies. Both these things affect change in the environment around them. They bring change to whatever they come in contact with. It doesn't take very much of either to influence. You think about a little ray of light, what it does in a very dark place. I think of that song, bright in the Corner, where you are. Well, that's an admonition. I remember years ago, I was working in a lady's office and I had a little saying pinned on the cubicle of her wall. I've never forgotten it. It says some people brighten the room when they enter it. Others brighten it the moment they leave it. So we want to be an influence. We want to be a positive influence, certainly. Both are critical to life salt is one of the only elements that is contained in every cell of the human body it's critical for life light is critical for life there's a natural process of photosynthesis that takes place that helps uh, plant life to grow without light it's impossible so we see the physical importance of salt and light We want to understand the spiritual importance of being salt and light Jesus used salt as a spiritual illustration. You know, the Salt Institute came out with some statistics a few years ago. They claim that the average American uses 16 tons of salt in their lifetime. That's a lot of salt. I don't know how a person could use 16 tons of salt. My grandpa Marvin probably would have come close. He loves salt. He salted everything. He's the first one I ever saw who salted his fruit. That's not all that uncommon, but I saw him salt his chocolate cake. That's very uncommon. But he loves salt, but I don't think he used 16 tons of salt. I'm not sure how they come up with those statistics. They say there's over 14,000 uses of Salt. It can range anywhere from de-icing roads to help to cure a sore throat or a toothache. But I thought of two reasons why Jesus would use salt as an illustration. Salt was used as a flavoring. And salt was also a preservative or a purifying agent. You think of salt as a flavoring. You know, as Christians, we are called to flavor the world around us to be a positive influence on the world around us. You know, just a little bit of salt can bring life to a piece of meat or a bowl of chicken soup that may be lifeless. You sprinkle a little salt in there, and it flavors it. Well, in the same way, we are supposed to flavor the world around us. First Timothy 4.12 says, "...be an example of believers in word, conversation, charity, spirit, faith." we or to be an example. Titus 2.7 says, In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. So again, we can see we are supposed to have a positive influence on the world around us, especially in a world that is void of salt and light. That's what we're called to do and to be. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So there's the admonition there. We want to be salt and light. You know, being salt and light, really, it's not complicated. It's simply living a life that's pleasing to the Lord. Day in and day out, living a life of holiness and godliness in front of a sinful world. That's what it means to be salt and light. You know, we have to be careful how we apply that salt. It's possible to over-salt something or over-season something. A few years ago, we were at a restaurant. My wife and myself and my girls it was one of our favorite Mexican food restaurants there in California. And everything was always very good, but I always felt like the, the beans were a little bit bland. So my wife suggested one time just sprinkling a little salt on there. And it completely changed the taste of those beans well, remember one evening or at one afternoon as I went to salt my beans. somebody had unscrewed the top of that salt shaker. I didn't sprinkle my beans. I buried them in salt. I found out it was my oldest daughter who unscrewed the lid. She didn't do it as a prank. She couldn't get any salt out of it, and so she didn't think about tightening it down. But, you know, no matter how hard I tried to scrape that salt off, the beans were ruined. Well, we want to be careful. How we apply that salt, Colossians 4.6 says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how to answer every man. Our speech must be seasoned with grace. The motive of our heart must be out of concern and love for people's souls. And so we, we need to be careful how we apply that salt. You know, salt... Creates a natural thirst as the salt of the earth. Our lives should be lived in such a way that it would create a thirst in those around us for that water of life. That's all part of being salt and light. You know, if we're being salt and light in the way the Lord intends for us, we will have an impact on those around us. I thought about Brother Chick Beasley's testimony. He said he thanked God for his great grace and mercy. Many probably have heard Brother Chick's testimony over the years. I didn't. Have, I don't think I ever had the opportunity to hear him in person, but you would say that he was just an old railer and blasphemer when he came to God. He had really his upbringing. His mom and dad broke up when he was about 11 years old, and he was kind of left on his own, and he just drifted out into that world of sin. Didn't know any better. No one had ever shown him the way or taught him anything about the Lord. And he just kept getting deeper and deeper into sin. One day in 1917, he said he and his wife came to Portland and he went to work in a manufacturing plant. He said they were working on a bonus system. So the quicker he could get things through that machine, the more money he made. He said he was covetous and greedy And he said when things didn't go well, he said he would curse and rant and rave and throw things around. Pretty miserable person to be around. But he said it was there that I came in contact with the old-time religion. He said a young man, 16 years of age, from the Apostolic Faith Church, came to work across the machine from me. And a life he lived convicted me of my sins. As I watched him, day after day, his life preached a silent sermon to me. So this young man was being salt and light. Before he ever said a word, he was being what God wanted him to be, and it spoke to this man's heart. It says, one day, I went around the machine and asked him, what church do you belong to? He said, I don't belong to any church. I'm just a Christian. I don't know what you would have thought about that kind of sermon, but it did a lot of good for me. From that time on, I began to treat him differently. You see how that young man began to flavor the environment around him. He said, I quit throwing things around and I quit cursing that boy. I asked him many questions. He told me how God could come into my life and how God could save me. He said, I'll tell you, I listened to Him. I would say to myself, if God would do that for me, save me, give me power to live it, and I could be a Christian without struggling and striving, that is what I would be looking for. I would know beyond the shadow of a doubt that there's a God. You see that thirst for that living water begin to be developed in this man's life. Watching this other man be salt and light to him. He told me about the apostolic faith people and how God had saved him and his brothers and sisters from sin. He said I came among these people for just one purpose. I sat in my first camp meeting in 1926, and the people stood to their feet and told how the Lord had set them free from their sins. I waited for that altar call. And I went there to pray. He said, I didn't know much about praying, but he just poured his heart out to the Lord. He said, God heard and answered my prayer and set me free from all my sins. I knew I was free. I didn't have to guess about it. God took out all the blasphemy. My tongue never slipped from that day to this. The desire for cigarette and booze was gone. God cleaned me up and it took a miracle that God could come into my life in the twinkling of an eye and make such a change. You know what else the Lord did for this man? He said he went to work the next day. A new person. He was a Christian. He let his light shine. God gave him the grace to go back and make restitution for the things he had stolen. He went and made it right with a man he had injured in a fight. God was using him to be salt and light. You see the results? If we're salt and light, they have an impact on others. You know, salt... Can also be used as a startling effect. If you've ever watched a sporting event or maybe a boxing match when somebody's knocked unconscious. The first thing they'll do is they'll take those smelling salts. And they'll place it on that person's nose, and it's meant to resurrect their conscience, their consciousness. They're, they're, out of, they're, out, they're knocked out. They're well, they're out of it. And it snaps them back to reality. Well, maybe the Lord will use us as salt, as a startling agent to others. You know, you never know. It might be the actions you take or the words you may speak that would awaken a person to realize the spiritual danger they're in. That's part of being salt. Second Timothy 4.2 says, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. And here's the key with all long-suffering and doctrine. If you feel like you need to just go around lining people up, you've got the wrong idea. It so says we do it with all long-suffering and doctrine. And if the Lord would compel us to do this, we better make sure it's the Spirit of the Lord that's guiding us and directing us to do that better make sure we have the beam out of our own eye before we go taking the moat out of somebody else's eye. But sometimes the Lord may call on us to be that startling agent, to get somebody's attention. You know, it can have dramatic effects. I think about that account we've been studying about uh, David in the Bible. And we know that uh, horrendous, egregious sin he committed with Bathsheba. Uh, he committed adultery and murder and then tried to cover it up. Well, it fell on Nathan to confront David with his sin. You know what? I don't believe Nathan relished that job at all. But he had a love for David's soul. And he wanted to be obedient to the Word of the Lord. And you know what? It meant David's salvation. So we know Nathan appeared before David and he gave the allegory of the two men, the rich man and the poor man, and he said the rich man had uh, herds and cattle and sheep. The poor man only had one little ewe lamb that he cherished and raised up as his own. told about the traveler that came into that city and that rich man, rather than take from his own flocks, he took that one man's precious prized possession and he dressed it and presented it to that visitor. Well, of course, that stirred indignation in David's heart, and he rose up and pronounced judgment on that man and said that man should die, and he should pay four times what he took. You know what? He passed judgment on himself. Can you imagine what happened the moment Nathan looked at him and said, Thou art the man. Thou art the man. It wasn't an easy job for Nathan to do, but you know what? It had its desired effect. David acknowledged his sin, and he repented, and God forgave him. And even though there were consequences that followed the rest of his life, God restored him because one man was willing to stand up and say, You're the man. So we see salt can be used as a startling effect. Salt can be used as a purifier. Before the days of refrigeration, uh, often they would pack meat and salt to preserve it and to keep it from uh, becoming rotten or decaying. And in the same way, we're supposed to be the purifying agent in the world around us. Ye are the salt of the earth. In other words, you are the purifying agent of the earth. First Peter 1.15 says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner, of conversation. You know, our holy conversation and our conduct can have a purifying effect on those around us. We don't know what far-reaching effects it may have. I'd like to share a little excerpt that I found a few years ago. I, I don't recall who wrote this, but it says in the early 1700s, the French culture was in the process of moral decay, as a result, France was ripped apart by the French Revolution. Just 20 miles across the channel, the English, English culture had the same rot. Historians have described at length the moral corruption of English culture, and yet England did not go through a revolution. Why? Why was it spared? Was it their navy? They're suave diplomats, their politicians, their police force. No, the country was spared, as historian President Woodrow Wilson put it, because in 1703, a man called John Wesley was born in England. Later, Wesley was born again, and he lived out the Beatitudes and proclaimed the gospel, and the nation was preserved. You can see that preserving, purifying effect we're supposed to have on the world around us. You know, if there was ever a time when that was needed, the time is now. You look around and the Bible says in the last days, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. But until the Lord comes and raptures away as holy spotless bride, we have a job to do. We need to let our light shine and be that purifying agent that the Lord would call us to be. You know... Jesus is doing more here than just giving us an admonition about being a good influence. The Lord here also gave us a warning in these verses. He says, Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its savor, it is good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men." God, help us. We don't want to lose our saltiness. We don't want to lose our zeal and our fervor for the things of God. The Lord warns us, you know, how does salt lose its savor? Well, there's a couple of ways. When you dilute salt and water it down, it loses its saltiness. Or when you mix it with other substances, it loses its saltiness. You know, Jesus didn't dilute the gospel message. Jesus didn't preach tolerance and acceptance. He preached repentance and deliverance. You know, Jesus didn't tolerate sin in people's lives. And He won't tolerate it today. Jesus, all throughout Scripture, when He would deliver a person from their sin, He would give them a commandment. He'd say, go and sin no more. One man, he said, uh, Go and sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon thee. Jesus didn't make excuses or tolerate sin. Jesus came to set us people free from their sin. Anyone who would tell you that you can serve the Lord and still uh, practice those old sins or be engaged in sin is lying. They're deceiving themselves and they're deceiving you. And you know, they're giving you a gospel that's tasteless, powerless, watered down and will not do you a bit of good. But Jesus said you could live a life of victory, free from sin. That's good news. That's wonderful news. It says Jesus was manifested to take away our sins, not leave us in our sins. It may not be a popular message. Someone once said they would rather preach a gospel that hurts and heals than one that soothes and kills. Sometimes salt can irritate. Sometimes light can irritate. But if it's allowed to have its desired effect, it purifies. It enlightens us. It helps us to walk in the truth of God's Word. You know, God's Word demands holiness. There are those that would tell you that's not that important. There are those that would tell you it's not even possible to be holy And yet God says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. There also does that tell you that sanctification is not a definite work of grace, it's more of a process. God's word and experience tells us otherwise. It's absolutely that second application of Christ's grace and blood on a heart that's been saved. When we're saved, we're delivered from our past. And we're delivered from the penalty of sin. But when we're sanctified, we give the Lord our future. And we're delivered from the nature of sin. And it's necessary. Jesus prayed that His disciples might be sanctified. there in the book of John. So He said He wasn't praying for those in the world, but those who You gave Me out of the world. Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus went and died on a cross and shed His blood that they might be sanctified. Absolutely. We need to be pure and holy and it is an instant, definite work of grace. How can we present a pure, unadulterated salt to a world if we don't even know what holiness is? So God help us. Thank the Lord we have the doctrine of God's word and we can be sanctified holy. There are those that would tell you the baptism of the Holy Ghost It's not for the church today. I've heard that said. It was only given to establish the early church. That's not what God's Word says. The Word of God says that that promise is given unto you, to your children, to your children's children, those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God should call. The Lord's Word tells us in the last days He would pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. Jesus felt like it was important enough. Those were the last words He gave His disciples before they left Jerusalem. He said, go and tarry until you're endued with that power on high. He didn't feel like they were quick to even leave Jerusalem without that power. We need God's power. The power of His Holy Spirit in our lives to be that salt and that light that He calls us to be. And God has promised that blessing. We know it also says that that Blessing, the evidence of that is the speaking in tongues. And it is a real tongue. It's not some gibberish that people work up. You know, if you have to work something up, it's coming from below. Holy Spirit is something that's prayed down and the Lord can anoint a sanctified, holy life. The Holy Spirit won't dwell in an unsanctified, unholy vessel. But if you've met those conditions, God can fill you and empower you. That's part of His Word. That's why it's so important to be salt and light. We, ha- we need these things that God has given us. You know, the same message that Christ preached the same life he lived with the same message we ought to be preaching and living today. It says we are called to be salt, not sugar. Called to be salt. We're supposed to be light. And we're, ha- we're supposed to have that positive, purifying influence on those around us. But God can help us. You know, Jesus is coming again. could be at any moment. You can deny it if you want to, but God's Word tells us otherwise, and God's Word is absolutely sure, absolutely true. We need to be a pure, spotless, holy, sanctified bride of Christ without spot or blemish or any such thing if we hope to make the rapture, to make heaven our home. But you know, the Bible tells us in 1 John 3, verse 3, and we'll close with this, it says... It speaks about the coming of the Lord, and it says, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Do you have that hope in your heart this morning? If you're here and you're not saved, you know what? You can be saved this morning. You can be set free and delivered from sin. God can write your name in that book of life. You can be ready to see the Lord. If you need to be sanctified holy, God can help you. Today, if you need to be filled with the power of the Lord's Holy Spirit, it's here and available to you. If you're sanctified, God will help you. God will bless you. Even today, let's come and seek the Lord. The Song is 602, these altars are open.